Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 3, Episode 5. Learning is valued. It's important. People put a lot of effort into learning, and it's been said that mastering a new macro skill takes about 10,000 hours of work. You can go to school to learn. You get a high school diploma certifying that you've learned certain essential skills. You go on to college or learn a trade or whatever, and you earn the credentials you need to demonstrate your competence in a certain field. You may find yourself going on for advanced degrees. You might take on a self-initiated project, like taking piano lessons, reading about Civil War history, or taking up a new creative hobby. In our culture, in our society, learning is valued. Learning is good. And it is, or I wouldn't be in the business that I'm in. But what about unlearning? What do you do when your brain gets full? Okay, don't worry. Your brain is not going to get full. You're not going to learn so much that smarts start leaking out of your ears. You won't suddenly lock up like a hard drive that's at full capacity. So you don't have to worry about that. But there's still a place for unlearning. And I think it's an important practice for leaders. Well, I think it's an important practice for everyone. So what is unlearning? Well, your brain is full of wrong stuff, false information, wrong beliefs, and bad values. I'm going to make the argument that we have a responsibility not to let those things shape us, or worse, to misshape us. Unlearning is a critical thinking process that gives us the space to reconsider the things we take for granted. Let me give you a few examples of unlearning in action. Two of my favorites are Sonia Sotomayor, a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, and Richard Sennett, a scholar and a professor at the London School of Economics. Sennett is the author of one of my favorite books, The Craftsman. Well, both of them were born into less-than-ideal conditions, poor, under-resourced. Sennett grew up in Chicago in the infamous Cabrini-Green neighborhood. Sotomayor was born in the Bronx, and her father passed away when she was just nine. See, for all of the strikes against them, both of them grew up to transcend their circumstances. I've known people who have been shaped by a, a difficult childhood and never managed to get their lives on track. They continued to believe that they could never rise above a certain level. That was their fate in life. People who unlearn those kinds of patterns can move beyond those limitations. Now, it's hard to say how those beliefs are imposed. In one way, they are external, the things we are shown, told, or made to believe by others. Often, the others are family members or other people of influence in our lives. In some other ways, though, these beliefs are internal. We choose to continue to live by those same beliefs. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, my piano teacher was a big influence on my life. Now, before she moved into this, she'd spent several years working for the circus as a musician. I know, it sounds like a setup for a joke, but it's not. Anyway, she was telling me about training elephants. And if you chain a baby elephant to a stake, it learns that it cannot move beyond the length of the chain. 
Once an elephant learns this, it won't move once it's chained to that stake. Adult elephants who learn this while they're young are easily restrained by a chain or a rope and a small stake. But to move, the elephant would have to unlearn the power of that stake. And they can't seem to do that. So ask yourself, do you have any stakes in your life? It's more than that, though. Unlearning covers, well, a lot of territory. We may have to unlearn old practices that work in favor of doing something new. We're not very good at this. If we were, we wouldn't all know the phrase, we've always done it that way. We might have to unlearn attitudes about others, maybe biases or prejudices. See, those things are under your power to change, but it takes effort. It takes intentionality. So, how should we unlearn? You may be wondering, I put so much effort and money into learning, why would I put effort into unlearning? Well, there are a few reasons, and I'll quickly walk through some of them. See, if you're basing your life on science and medical technology from 1973, do you think you might need an upgrade? There's a lot that has happened since then. Sometimes we get into ruts with our thinking that reflect days gone by. And having the courage to unlearn, rethink, and adjust can be an essential skill. I think I shared this in Season 1, but it's relevant here, so you have to hear it again. Back in the mid to late 1990s, I put a lot of effort into learning web usability, and I became one of the guys in the consulting world around that part of the discipline. Well, I don't use those skills anymore because we've moved on. The technology and even the human elements of interface design have changed. Making a system intuitive then, when we were fresh out of a mechanical world with manual controls, is very different from an intuitive system today. People just think differently. That's a pretty good demonstration of both unlearning and learning. We have to unlearn sometimes for new roles. There's a well-known book by Marshall Goldsmith called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. The skills that made you successful to this point will not serve you well going forward. The skills you need to manage a team of two or three people will not serve you well when you're leading a division of two or three hundred people. See, I've got a friend who's in transition from one industry to another. Uh, he has a lot of transferable skills, but the context for his work is changing radically. There are different rules and regulations, different outcomes, different ways of thinking. If he doesn't unlearn a bunch of his old expectations and practices, they will do nothing but get him in trouble. Now, I can hear about 24 of you mumbling that everybody knows that. But I have to disagree with you. It's very difficult to change industries and lead well without falling back into old patterns. We like our old patterns because they worked for us. They're comfortable. And it takes a gargantuan effort to unlearn them. See, I've seen R&D people struggle with the change to manufacturing implementation. R&D, that's research and development, is about innovating and creating new things. But manufacturing implementation is about taking those new things and designing the process to manufacture them consistently, reliably, and economically. There's no creating something new. The field is all about designing the materials and the workflow necessary for manufacturing a product.
See, there's a lot of talk in leadership circles about the first 100 days in a new job. And part of that discussion is around all of the things you need to do to be successful in that transition. In most of those discussions, this piece is missing. You need to unlearn a lot of your old patterns and start paying attention to new ways of working. Unlearning is the starting point. There are some other reasons that we might need to do some unlearning. Sometimes there's personal growth involved, and we have to get out of our own way in order for that to happen. For me, this sometimes involves a commitment to something that God seems to want changed in my life. That means I have to unlearn my way of doing things and take on His way. Over the years, that's involved several things, like learning to serve others better, to show compassion to those who are struggling to see things more from my wife's perspective, to change my attitude from individualism toward community, to better support the team I lead, to avoid turf wars, and to shift my attitude to about food and possessions, those kinds of things. To be candid, a lot of these are ongoing efforts. Unlearning is rarely quick and easy, and sometimes we're struggling to undo a whole lifetime of wrong information. From my perspective as a Christian, God doesn't leave me abandoned in all that. This is hard to explain if you're not a person of faith, but I'm not flailing about on my own, and you'd be surprised how much help I get along the way. Now, there are other personal growth issues that you might want to consider. A few years back, I stumbled across an article about Bayesian statistics. Bayes was a pastor in England, and his hobby was math. So he developed some statistical tools to help people understand decision-making and statistical realities. So I decided to go to our academic library and find a book about Bayesian statistics, and I almost hyperventilated from all of the equations. So I had to learn to settle for a few summaries. If, for instance, you are faced with an opaque cylinder, kind of like a bingo roller, that has either 50 sequentially numbered balls or 50,000 sequentially numbered balls. Okay, If that cylinder is fully randomized and you pull out three balls, you can get a pretty good idea of the answer. If you pull out 25, 15, and 47, you can be pretty confident that there are 50 balls, because statistically, there would be far more balls above 50 than below it. The application of this, of course, is that's not a guarantee, but the odds are with you. I owe credit to someone for that illustration, but I have no idea who came up with it. It can be helpful to think about probabilities of things happening. In most bad circumstances in life, there are 50,000 numbered balls, and we tend to expect that there are 50, and that the worst is very likely to happen. More on that in just a moment. Recently, Liv Bourri made the observation that extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. She did a really creditable job of explaining the significance of Bayesian statistics for real life. Earlier this year, I taught a class on crisis management, and most of my case studies and illustrations for the course involved plane crashes. And there were a lot of simple errors that ultimately resulted in catastrophic failure. So here's the thing. I teach this class, and the week after it's done, I go on vacation to fly off to far-flung places, on a plane, after weeks of looking at air disasters. Smart, huh? 
Okay, I'm going to post a link to Buri's article in the show notes, but the point is this. You can reason with fears and phobias by providing the overwhelming data that those fears are likely false. She argues that Bayesian statistics are a framework for changing the way we think. She found it to be helpful in her, whole, in her own life, and you know, she went through a lot, and she knows what it means to overcome fears. That's a pretty significant opportunity for personal growth. Now, if you're interested, there are a lot of good layman's terms articles about how Bayes' theorem works in the mundane details of life. So use the Google for that. Now, I find it interesting that Bayes' mathematical work has pastoral implications. He was a pastor. It's like he uses equations to provide us with pastoral counseling. And in fact, it's exactly like that. Well, anyway, I'll wrap up with this. Unlearning is not sexy. Wow, great marketing point there, Sam. But it's true. Part of the reason we like learning new things is the novelty of it, for being able to tell others what we've learned, the ability to develop a skill that others will admire. <laughs> There's none of that in unlearning. There's no glamour in it. It's simply the hard work of abandoning unhelpful beliefs about ourselves and others and replacing those things with better ways of thinking. I want to encourage you to think about the areas of your life where you really need to do some serious unlearning. If you're in the midst of a life transition, you know, job change, relocation, change in family situation, change in health, whatever, think about what you need to unlearn to make room for the next chapter in your life. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye. All of that reminds me, if you're interested in having me speak to your organization, your company leaders, your planning team, or your church group, please reach out to me. LJ Helgerson at ymail.com. You'll find my contact info on the show page.